Listening to the Coffee Hour, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. It is Bach Week. Yes. And I love this. Five different stories mm-hmm. throughout the week. Each day we get to take a look at Bach from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And all of them are a little bit of history, which uh, is the best. It, which is the best because it's Bach week and July 28th is when the church commemorates J.S. Bach. And so today, our guest, Chaplain Brian Hamer, active duty Navy chaplain and author of the forthcoming article, Bach Behind the Iron Curtain, a musical postcard from Russia, 1962. Chaplain Hamer, thanks for joining us on the Coffee Hour. Andy and Sarah, always a pleasure. So, Bach behind the Iron Curtain. This is an approach to Bach that I wouldn't have even thought of. Thank you for bringing this topic to Bach Week. I'm I'm really intrigued by this. So uh, the first part into this this story is the Robert Shaw Chorale. Who who was Robert Shaw and the the Robert Shaw Chorale? Andy and Sarah, by way of introduction, I hope many of our listeners have heard of the choral conductor, Robert Shaw. His dates are 1916 to 1999, that overlaps with many of our lifetimes, and maybe some of us had a chance to sing with Robert Shaw from time to time. This was a guy who could stand on the stage at Carnegie Hall, get this, in the 1990s, and tell the choir as they were warming up, I wish you all could have been here with me in New York City in the 1930s. (laughs) Do the math. That's 60 years of of prominent choral conducting. And he had the Robert Stahl Chorale that I'm going to talk about today, a collegiate chorale, the Cleveland Symphony Orchestra Chorus. And many of us probably know him from his Hellark days at the record label with the Atlanta Symphony Orchestra Chorus. And he may have been, at least in 20th century America, the man for raising the bar for choral standards in the United States. The choir I'm going to talk about today, the Robert Ball Chorale, existed from 1948 to 1967. Now think about those dates and what was happening with communism, 1948 to 1967. So you had the Red Scare, the concern about the infiltration of communist influence into the United States. We normally start the Cold War, that is the imminent nuclear threat, right around 1947. And just by coincidence, these would be in the years of the communist scare and the Cold War. And during those dates, from the late 1940s to the late 1960s, the Robert Shaw Corral toured 30 different countries at various times. And they were all sponsored and funded by the United States. Department. So basically, it was a public relations choir of wonderful singers, touring, and recording. One of Shaw's biographers described it this way Shaw was a recording star. The Robert Shaw Corral was a household name and was even featured in a peanut comic strip. So, when you have a relationship with the United States State Department for International Touring, and you're in the Peanuts comic strip on Sunday, 
I'd say you're doing pretty well. That's quite the, the, the American legend right there, I have to say. Absolutely. So tell us more about the Corral's tour to, is it Russia in 1962? That there's, it sounds like there, there are probably a lot of stories out of this tour. Absolutely. So this is the 60th anniversary for that tour back in 1962. And for simplicity's sake, I'm simply going to call it Russia, understanding that it has had various titles through the years. So this time now, we're going behind the Iron Curtain. It's right in the very same year as the Soviet missile crisis during the presidency of JFK. And we call it the Soviet Ted missile, not too far from Florida. And that was one of the major tests of the JFK administration. Think in terms now, when you go from free America to behind the Iron Curtain, what the arts mean. Everything under an oligarchy, it's subject to government control. And it's kind of like the revolutionary movement that we see today with the LGBTQ movement and the entire revolution against being male and female. We've all been there where we're standing behind somebody in line, maybe at Starbucks, and we see the LGBTQ plus pride logo on the rims of their glasses, on the sandals of their shoes, on their t-shirt. That is their pulpit. If they don't actually have a traditional pulpit on Sunday morning, everything has to be about that revolution. So transfer that to 1960s Russia. The arts were all about government propaganda and control. And yet somehow this choir sponsored by the U.S. State Department got in. And one way to possibly explain that is that the primary musical voice in 20th century Russia would have been, of course, the orchestra. Our listeners might have heard of composers such as Prokofiev, mm -hmm. Stravinsky, and Rachmaninoff. And what do they all have in common? At some point, they all fled from Russia, and two of the three actually ended up in Hollywood writing movie soundtracks. You don't hear about that so much, but they actually gave it all up, and they moved to, moved to Hollywood. So with this tour, the Robert Saul Corral, neither country's government was terribly enthusiastic about it. The Department of State said it's just going to be a sleeper act, and well, guess what happened? They went to 11 cities. They gave 30 concerts, three different programs, and they gave four concerts in Yugoslavia and six in West Berlin. That is a breakneck pace over a period of about 42 days. One of the three concerts that they did was Bach B minor Yeah, That would be his musical setting for large orchestra, large chord, and four soloists of the five ordinary of the mass. Lord have mercy, glory be to God on high, the Nicene Creed, holy, 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 and the Lamb of God, all of which most of us probably sang yesterday in church. The New York World Telegram described their tour this way. They wrote, the tour was a musical, diplomatic, and spiritual triumph, almost without parallel in our time. Tell me more about how the Robert Shaw Chorale, how they treated the the Bach pieces, their treatment of the Bach pieces. You know, does does the Robert Shaw Chorale bring these pieces? Like most of Bach is written in German, right? The the chorales are written in German. How did they did they bring these pieces in German or another language? 
in this particular case for the B minor math, the Kyrie, Kyrie and Liaison, is in Greek. Then everything from the Gloria forward, Gloria and Excelsis is in Latin. I would presume that on tour in Russia, that the audience would have a translation in front of them, presumably into Russian. What's amazing is the, is the way the audiences reacted. It tells you, even the way they have to wait in line to get tickets, that they were familiar with Bach's B minor math. I simply don't know that the audience would have heard of or know about the Robert Song Corral per se, because obviously the news feeds would be controlled by the, the government, but maybe they didn't see a choir as a threat. I think a professional orchestra would be a different story. But as the story goes, and again, 60 years ago, so some of the folks who were on that tour could still be alive today. Audiences would remain after the B minor mass for up to an hour, often still standing, just taking in what they had heard, free of government control, and of course, loaded with gospel. Soviet radio broadcast the B minor in its entirety, including 10 minutes of applause at the end. And you're the radio experts. I'm just guessing when you have applause, you don't let it go for it in minutes. We typically don't have applause on, <laughs> on, on our programs too much anyway. <laughs> you have an applause button, don't you? <laughs> at, the, uh, at the concert in Moscow, after the concert was over, so they did about two hours of music of J.S. Bach. Robert Shaw left. He went to change closed and then he returned to the concert hall just to take one last look or maybe to retrieve his baton or something and the audience was still there 30 minutes after the concert ended and they were still standing in leningrad again that's the namesake of one of the communist leaders right so leningrad several hundred get this stood in line to get a voucher for which you'd have to stand in line again to get a ticket for standing room only. You couldn't make that up to get the voucher to get a ticket for standing room only. And this concert just happened to coincide with JFK's decision to blockade Cuba, anticipating anti-American demonstrations, even in Leningrad. And finally, in one city, a riot actually broke out when several hundred people knocked down the door to try to access the concert. So the reaction to the B lighter math was nothing short of remarkable. Hmm. Now I'm, I'm interested in knowing how you learned about all of this. The, I, obviously you're not old enough to have, to have witnessed any of this. So what are your sources for, for learning about this? My favorite book that addresses the subject is by Keith C. Burris, B-U-R-R-I-S. And the book is called Deep River. I don't have it in front of me. The subtitle, I believe, is The Life and Work of Robert Shaw. Just published a few years ago. And wonderful sources, because again, if you look at his notes, you can see that he interviewed people who were there. But if you don't want to spend money on the book, and it is a big hardback published by IGA, and it probably costs about 30 or $40, I invite listeners to visit and Google Robert Shaw website, which actually includes audio interviews with people who knew Robert Shaw. Again, that's Robert Shaw website. 
It is Bach Week. We're talking with Chaplain Brian Hamer, an active duty Navy chaplain and author of a forthcoming article, Bach Behind the Iron Curtain, a musical postcard from Russia 1962. We'll continue the conversation in just a moment on the Coffee Hour. I'm Eddie Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Bach Week, and our guest today, Chaplain Brian Hamer, active duty Navy chaplain and author of the forthcoming article, Bach Behind the Iron Curtain, a musical postcard from Russia, 1962. And taking a look at this connection of the Robert Shaw, Robert Shaw, Robert Shaw Corral, and this concert taking place in 1962 in Russia. And what does that have to do with Bach Week? Well, they presented Bach's B minor mass on this tour. Fascinating piece of history that I like would have known nothing about. Thank you so much, Chapel Hamer, for bringing this to my attention and sharing this with us for Bach Week. So within Robert Shaw Corral brings this to Russia in this 1962 tour, brings the Bach's B minor ba- mass on this tour. What then does this event imply for the legacy of box music in our own day? I think first and foremost, during this box week, the very good news that box sacred music is transcultural. Again, it is transcultural. It appeals to the free West. Keep in mind those singers who went with them in 1962 were, of course, American singers. But it also had appeal to the communist state, and it has appeal around the world. Some of the leading proponents of Bach's music and performers today are the Netherlands Bach Society and the Bach Collegium of Japan, of all places. And they're doing it very well in its original language, in this case, mostly Latin. In the case of the cantatas, mostly German. Bach ticket to get there, whether that's behind the Iron Curtain, if it's into a modern-day oligarchy, it's into the modern-day concert hall. His ticket to get there is, of course, its artistic merit. But even outside the church, most would probably agree that Bach is the great, greatest composer ever and that his music is worth singing and playing. Thus, by its artistic merit, Bach goes where the preacher cannot go into the concert hall, into your Amazon or iPod playlist, just about everywhere, nearly ubiquitous. And when it's his sacred music, there's plenty of secular music as well. Guess what? The gospel then is going where the preacher cannot go without a thought of saying, oh, I'm sorry, this is 18th century German music that doesn't appeal to me because I'm from a different country in a different country. No, it is transcultural. And transcultural stands in contrast to multicultural. And when something is multicultural, that normally means we're trying to appeal to a 
specific generation. Uh, genera- generation X appears to be in the crosshairs today because we want to include generation. The challenge with that in the church, and yes, Generation X will have their own music. If you've ever played iPod roulette when you're on your family vacation and played at your own peril, that's where you simply pass your music around the car clockwise and you listen to everybody else's music and you try to find something that you like. Good luck with that. Because it's there, it's going to be generation specific, right? And you listen to and you add to your playlist something that you like. Bach simply transcends all of that because it has a universal appeal, both by its artistic merit and in the case of the sacred music, the message that is heard. So where Bach's sacred music goes, there the gospel is heard, there the gospel is proclaimed, including behind the Iron Curtain, not in church, but in concert halls in 1962. One of my spiritual fathers, and some of our listeners have certainly heard of, Kurt Marquardt, was from the Ukraine or spent some time in the Ukraine. And I do not know Russian at all, but he used to tell us that in Russian, the name Sunday is the same word for resurrection. But he used to joke that even the old Communist Party bosses could not help but preach the gospel in an unexpected way when they talked about their plan for the weekend. <laughs> Again, Sunday and resurrection, the same word, and the gospel goes with your sacred music. I think that is such an incredible legacy of Bach and Bach's music. And, and I think we've, we've talked about this before, just the way that because of the immense artistic ability of Bach to be able to to write theology into his music. Like you, you can't separate the two. And to, to be able to bring that kind of theology to places all around the world just through choirs is, is really, really an incredible legacy. Do we know anything about how this concert or, or other concerts or, or how Bach's music in general may have affected culture in any way in any of those places that the Robert Shaw Chorale was able to, to tour? So, I mean, specifically Russia, if you know. Yes, this is, a, this is a chance for them to hear the gospel in a way that they had not heard it before. And if you've ever had that experience, you know that it stays with you for a long time afterwards. I think that's why you would see people still standing in the concert hall long after the concert was over. So the gospel goes underground, but it's still alive underground. To give one example, their tour guide in Russia was somebody named Petrov, and he was taking Robert Saul to the airport in Moscow at the very end of this multi-week tour. And Saul asked the tour guide, Petrov, why the audience was so responsive and so positive. And he had two things to, to offer. One, he said you underestimated the audience. And I think that, that's fair enough. How would you, in 1962 America, really know what you're getting into with an audience behind the Iron Curtain? And when they would budget for these tours, uh, believe it or not, they always do do the budget, assuming that every house is going to be full, not to take the leftover. So somebody's probably going to go into debt for this thing. And we underestimated the audience, that's fair enough, but even more so. Why was this audience so responsive? Petrov had this to say to Robert Shaw. Again, this is on the way to the airport at the end of the tour. He said, I was with you 
in every audience, you know, and it never failed. But then three minutes after you had begun to sing, people forgot that you were Americans or performers and that they were in a concert hall. They were simply hearing Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, or Dona nobis Constum, grant us peace. It was like one heart talking to another heart, or more like fox heart talking to all of us. I think that summarizes it very well. They were simply hearing, Lord have mercy, or grant us peace. One heart talking to another heart, locked heart talking to all of us. If I may summarize them for this Bach week. Mm. Sacred music, especially the sacred music of J.S. Bach, is transcultural because it is transcendent. Yesterday, for instance, while most of us probably didn't sing the B minor mass, the gospel lesson from Luke 11 was on the Our Father. So many of us probably sang Martin Luther's hymn, Our Father Thou in Heaven Above. And I don't know about you folks, but as I'm singing that hymn, I'm not sitting there thinking, oh, well, the poet was Martin Luther, who lived in the 16th century, and the composer is this person, and oh, the organist that switched registration. He may do some of that. He might. But ultimately, the poet, the composer, the organist who's leading, they become a trio of John the Baptist, as it were, who decrease that Christ may increase in the church's song, knowing that this song always thrives under pressure. <sighs> Beautiful. I love this story. <laughs> And and we do have some Robert Shaw pieces in our library here. I might have to share them later today in the the music hours. I think you're going to have to. <laughs> now I'm going to have to. <laughs> Beyond the the Bach B minor mass, do you have other favorite Bach pieces from the Robert Shaw chorale? I know that's a tough question. You know, yeah, yeah. To be honest, that's the only one I have followed with the Robert Shaw chorale. They do have some wonderful Christmas recordings, predictably called, I, lo I always loved his title, you know, because you could tell what's on the CD, right? The title is Christmas with the Robert Shaw Chorale. <laughs> on that same tour, they also sang excerpts from Mozart's Vespers, which would be our, like our own Vespers, along with some songs. And they sang a mass setting by Schubert that is much shorter and simpler than Bach's and they sang some spiritual. So speaking to the Robert Shaw Chorale, I'm only familiar with the, the B minor math. Hmm. As we wrap up our time together today, any other thoughts for us or final thoughts for, I mean, you, you've given us some great, a great summary, but any other final thoughts for Bach week and, and our observation of the commemoration of J.S. Bach this week? Oh, Absolutely. If somebody is new to Bach, now keep in mind, if you look through our hymnal, Lutheran Service Book, and you look at the small print at the bottom of the page, you rarely, if ever, actually see the name J.S. Bach. So these texts and these chorales, it's the heritage of Bach. But Bach did not actually write a chorale. There is no text, there is no tune actually written by Bach. It all often says harmonized by Bach. So if you walk away from church, Having sung some hymns, and you think, well, we had a lot of Bach today. That may not necessarily be the case. I would just encourage our listeners who aren't familiar with Bach, tune in to Bach Week. Find some good recordings. Listen to the Coffee Hour this week and every week, of course, and continue to 
explore the sacred music of J.S. Bach. It is a well that never runs dry. I've been fascinated with it for about 40 years now, and I'm just getting started. I hope the current listener will join in the journey. Our guest today, Chaplain Brian Hamer, active duty Navy chaplain and author of forthcoming article, Bach Behind the Iron Curtain, a musical postcard from Russia, 1962. Chaplain Hamer, where will we find that article, by the way? It's forthcoming at whatdoesthismean.org and click on Lifted Voice, and it should be posted sometime in early September. Thank you so much for spending some time with us during Bach Week on the Coffee Hour this week, Chaplain Hamer. All right. Thank you both, and blessed Bach Week to both of you. You've been listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support the Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere.